Uh, If you have a Bible, please open up to Mark chapter 4. I want to read to you this morning a very, probably the most popular parable of Jesus, or one of the most popular parables of Jesus. And it's the, the parable of the soils, or the parable of the sower, or um, the parable of the seed, or what, however, there's different ways of, of looking at this parable, as we will today. And it's found in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. And the parable is actually really short. It's the only the first few verses of this parable, but we get this uh, very interesting thing that happens, that happens all the time with parables, that his disciples are confused. And because the disciples are confused, we have this little insight into Jesus actually explaining this parable. He doesn't really explain that many parables, but he explains this parable, and Jesus says, actually, this parable is the key to unlock all the other parables. He said, if you can't understand this parable, how are you going to understand any other parable that I'm about to teach you, or I will say? So this parable is very, very important, so we get a little explanation, but what I want to do is I'm going to read the parable. I'm going to pause and just ponder the parable, and then Jesus explains it for us, which is kind of like a cheat sheet. Um, But the thing is, he doesn't explain it to everyone. He only explains it to his disciples that, like, pull them aside later and say, what the heck was that about? Like, what was that? And Jesus kindly explains it. So here it is. And, and I'll read it, and then I'll, I'll pray for our time. Verse 1, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, and a crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into the boat, and he sat in the boat on the lake, and while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So this is like a natural amphitheater um, your voice actually carries over water really well. If you didn't know, that's why waves are so loud. It's just like a natural amphitheater. So Jesus is on the lake in a boat, and all these people, kind of like right now, are in the amphitheater style on the shore around him. So it's an opportune time to teach about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus starts to teach about the kingdom of God. And he says this, listen, verse 3, listen. Now, by the way, this is the point of the parable. Listen. The farmer went out to sow his seed. And he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell upon rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun had come up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. And then other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they could not bear fruit again or grain. Verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100x. You guys understand that language, 100x, so 100x. (laughs) Verse 9, Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is the parable. Ends right here. That's the parable. Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God. That's it. Let that sink in for a second. That's the parable. And when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. And Jesus said to them, the secret, the mystery of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that, she's saying, I speak in parables so that, and he quotes Isaiah, they may be ever seeing but never perceiving And ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Okay, the farmer sows the word, the word of the kingdom. Some people are like seed along the path, where the word is sown, 
As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others are like seeds sown among thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word of the kingdom out, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and they produce a crop. They're fruitful. Some 30, some 60, some 100x what was sown into them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, this morning I pray that the same thing would happen this morning as thousands of years ago when you first taught this parable, that the thing of the kingdom would take root, the seed would be scattered all over this sanctuary, all over online, whoever's listening, and it would take root. Supernaturally, it would take root in hearts that just want to listen. So may we have ears to hear this morning, and may your gospel spread and multiply greatly in our lives and for the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a a slight advantage today in teaching, and that is Jesus says it's really up to the listener when it comes to parables. So my job is actually already done. I read the parable. It's up to you to do the work to figure it out. That's literally what Jesus teaches about this parable. But because we have some more time, let me explain a few things about the parable. (laughs) Today I'd like to talk about the nature of things. The nature of things. Four things in particular I want to talk about. I wanna talk about the nature of parables. I wanna talk about the nature of the kingdom. I wanna talk about the nature of our souls. And lastly, I wanna talk about the nature of God. Now, by nature, I mean the quality and the characteristics of these things. The quality of of parables and the characteristics of parables. What makes parables unique? The quality of the kingdom or the characteristics, the the way that Jesus uses to describe the kingdom of God in this parable. The quality of our souls, the characteristics of our souls, what makes us receptive or not receptive to the kingdom and the, the quality of God as, as shown through this parable. Now first, the nature of parables. Jesus' favorite form of teaching was with parables. Jesus loved teaching and using parables when he taught on the central message, the central message he came to bring, which was the, the kingdom of God. Jesus came to announce and make available the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not somewhere simply you go when you die. What Jesus is talking about was the kingdom of God comes near us. It breaks into time and space. And so heaven actually draws near to us. Jesus comes to bring heaven. And because he's teaching always on this, he uses parables to teach on the kingdom of God. Now, why does he do this? Well, because on the surface, parables are simple and ordinary. 
Parables are easy enough for a child to understand. My two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Juniper, would understand this parable. I would say, there's someone who comes and scatters seed everywhere, and the seed is how things grow, and some falls in the street, and the birds eat it, and some falls in the bushes, and, and it doesn't grow, and some falls on like this soil that has a really thin top layer of soil, and it kind of grows, but then they get, it, the sun comes out and scorches it, but then some falls on good ground, and it grows. The seed grows, and my daughter would understand that. Oh, yeah, the seed grows. Jesus teaches in parables so that kind of everyone understands it. He uses things to talk about the kingdom that everyone at his, in his time and space knew about. Seeds and soil, birds and bushes, uh, coins and sheep, farmers and vendors. And, and parables are pretty secular. That means they're accessible to everyone. You don't need some insider information uh, to understand the, on, on the surface level what's happening in a parable. They weren't about churchy things. Actually, only one occasion did, Je- did the parable actually take place in a church setting. Jesus uses ordinary things that everyone had access to. See, when people think they're not, someone is not talking about God, or when someone thinks that you're not talking about spiritual things, that's when people's defenses come down. There's nothing really threatening about birds, Unless, you know, you're Alfred Hitchcock or something like that. But there's nothing really threatening about birds. Seeds are not threatening. Like, if I start talking about seeds, you're not like, whoa, 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 where are you going with this? You're just like, oh, seeds, yeah. And a farmer goes and sows seeds. Oh, yeah, this is cool. This is like a a nursery rhyme. Yeah, 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 just like a nursery rhyme. They're about farmers and throwing seed all over the place. They don't seem to be about heaven or hell or God or eternity or Satan or your wealth. And this is the big reason Jesus loved teaching in parables, because parables are subversive. They seem to be harmless, little tales about life, but they're really mysterious. They're mystical. They have a a hidden depth of meaning that's not easy to grasp at all, which is why the disciples are like, what the heck did that parable mean? What was that about? The only way to grasp the meaning of a parable is to think deeply upon it, to remain open-minded and open-hearted at the same time. And then, as the the pastor Eugene Peterson says, like a time bomb, parables explode in an unprotected heart and God's kingdom takes root and takes over. This is how parables work. A few years ago, um, I read Brene Brown's wonderful book on leadership called Dare to Lead. Anyone else read this book, Dare to Lead? It's a great, really great, great book. And in this book, she has this great catchy line that I've made one of my mantras in leadership. And it's this, clear is, you guys know the rest of this? Kind. Ever heard of this? Clear is kind. We all value Clarity. In our jobs, we want clarity. In our relationships, we want clarity. In our life with God, clear is kind. But Jesus doesn't share this value at all, (laughs) it would seem. Jesus has the opportune time to teach on the kingdom. He has an amphitheater, a natural amphitheater. He's on a stage, on a boat, on a floating stage, A captive audience, if you were Jesus' life coach, you would pull him aside and go, this is your moment. (laughs) Huge audience, I need you to be clear. (laughs) 
people will debate what you say here for thousands of years. They'll debate whether you were God or not, whether you were divine or not, whether what your teachings meant, what you, what you, you need to be clear here. You got it? Got it. Okay. He steps out and he's like, there's a farmer who like sows some seed and some seed. And you're like, no, 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 you didn't do the thing. He does not value clarity like we value clarity. See, another important thing about parables is that parables won't do the work for you. We want people to do the work for us. Tell me what that means. We value being clear and to the point, but Jesus values something else entirely. Jesus values that you would be drawn in by a story of the nature of the kingdom of God, and then he would put the ball in your court, so to speak, so that you can think for yourself. He wants you to ponder. He wants you to do the work. He wants your imagination to kick in and to do the work. Now, here's the thing about parables. If you're not willing to do the work, if you're not willing to be open-minded and open-hearted to Jesus as he teaches parables, then the nature of parables do the, the, the very thing that he hopes they will do. They conceal and they reveal. The parables conceal and reveal at the same time. Depending on the character and the nature of the listener, a parable will either reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of God to you or it will conceal the nature of the kingdom of God from you. And this is why Jesus shares that very weird quote from Isaiah in the middle of this passage. He says this quote in chapter, in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He says, the nature of the parables... Oh, I'll just read to you. Let me read to you again. This is really important. Look at verse 11. He says... I'm teaching, I'm teaching you the secret of the kingdom of God so that, and he quotes this, this, this line from Isaiah, that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. I was always very confused by this verse for years. Confu and you're like, Jesus, why would you, if you want people to be forgiven, why would you speak in such a way that people will see you but not understand you or hear you but not get you? Why would you do that? And here's why. The nature of parables is such that those who hear that don't understand. Now, that, that word understand in, in the original context does not mean cognitively understand like you and I do today. That word in Jesus' worldview meant a lack of reception. If you hear and, not, and you're not able to receive Jesus, the parables go over your head on purpose. Jesus wants them to go over your head. And that's it's a really brilliant form of teaching because let's say you're, you're, you're hearing this parable right now about the nature of the kingdom of God and you don't care about Jesus. Let's say you just don't care. You're too preoccupied or there's too much competition happening right now in your, with your energies to where Jesus and his kingdom doesn't really have a place in your life. Well, guess what? This parable will just go right over your head. It will be a cute saying, not earth-shattering, and you will move right along. And that's exactly how Jesus wanted it. He wanted to put the kingdom of God in such a way that you can just go, if you don't care about the kingdom, you'd be like, 
Oh, birds, seed, cool, I got it, moving right along. Jesus doesn't grab you by the collar and say, listen to me. He doesn't do that. What he wants to do is to subtly tell you a story, and for those who, are really, who really do want the kingdom of God, you're going to ponder it. You're going to think about it. And in your pondering, you might think and find that your life is kind of like that kind of soil, the thorny kind, the hard kind, the rocky kind. And what will happen as you ponder this The parable will do its work in breaking up your heart, tilling the soil of your soul so that you're able to receive the kingdom. It's genius. And if you're not willing to do the work, it will just pass over you and birds will pick it out and the thorns will choke it out and the sun will scorch it out and Jesus says, that's the way I want it. This is really subtle and unique and mysterious. But let's talk about the nature of the kingdom because Jesus is really talking about the kingdom of God here. He uses the word word, the word. What's the word? The word is the word that Jesus announces from the very beginning of Mark and that is the announcement of the availability of the kingdom of God. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God. And in this parable, which all his parables about are kingdom parables about the kingdom of God, Jesus says that the nature of the kingdom of God is a seed The kingdom of God is like a seed. Think about this, a seed. The word of the kingdom is a seed. A tiny, fragile, and according to this parable, a vulnerable little seed. And we're supposed to think on this. We're supposed to do the work and see the strangeness of this, the brilliance of this. We're supposed to see how seeds contain in them the power of life. We're supposed to see how a seed can only bring this power of life after it's been folded into and been buried in good soil. See, you can bury almost any other object in the ground and it won't grow. Coins and rocks or even wood. And you could water them and give them great sunlight and good soil, but they won't grow. Why won't coins grow in the ground or rocks or even wood? Because they don't contain in them the power of organic life. They don't contain the power of renewal like a seed does. But a seed, a single acorn, has the power to create an entire forest. It has the power of renewal to create A tree that creates seed, that creates more trees and creates fruit. Inside that little seed, there is the potential for a kind of organic life and growth that cannot be achieved by dissecting it or selling it or even talking about it. It can only be achieved by the ground receiving it. That's how you unlock the power of a seed. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is like that. The kingdom of God is like a seed. And since... A seed needs soil. This parable of the seed also says something about the soil. Or more literally, the nature of the kingdom of God also says something about the soul that is receiving the kingdom of God. Meaning, the kingdom of God is the kind of thing that can only be birthed in a certain kind of life or soul or soil. Now think about this. Jesus says, 
that the kingdom of God can only be cultivated and birthed in a certain kind of soil. The kingdom of God is like this, like a seed that needs the right kind of soil to grow. And of course, the soil is the soul, the heart of a person. If the, if the person doesn't have this kind of heart or soul or life, the kingdom of God will either be snatched away, choked out, or not able to grow. And this is exactly how Jesus wants it. This is why he spoke in parables, so that the word he was sowing and he was scattering, the message about the kingdom of God would only grow in a certain kind of life. Now, I want to stop here before I lose you. I don't mean a moral life. This is not a moral parable at all. This is a parable about receptivity, openness to God, and listening to God. So when I say the right kind of soil or the right kind of life, I don't want you to read to mean, well, if what I, what I, the way I've been living my life is not the kind of life that God wants to come into. And that's not true at all. This is about a receptive life. Actually, sometimes we're most receptive after a bender, after living in sin, after we've reached the end of our own resources, and somehow the soul begins to open up to receive the seed of the kingdom. That's a mysterious thing. I don't really understand that. Now, this is kind of meta. Now, Jesus Jesus is teaching on parables as he zooms out and lives this parable and says, I teach on parables so that only a certain kind of people can receive this parable. Now, Jesus was sowing in parables because the kingdom of God is the kind of thing that can only grow in hearts that are ready and willing to receive him. This is, if you zoom out, Jesus is is sharing a parable. At the same time, he's sharing this parable parable about the kingdom of God. The parable is, is unfolding before his eyes, meaning there are some people that don't care about what he's saying and are moving on. For example, the Pharisees that want to at this point, want to kill him, as we read a couple of verses ago or a couple of weeks ago. They're listening to this. They're going, oh, what is Jesus saying? I don't know, something about seeds and a farmer. Moving on. They were mad. They don't get mad here. Like, what are you saying? Usually they're getting mad at Jesus for something, but not here. They're not mad at him. Why? Because they don't care. They don't care about the kingdom. And so this parable washes right over them. Who do care? The disciples. And so they lean in. They're like, what does that mean? What does this mean? So it's happening as Jesus is doing. But it's literally happening too because Jesus is on the boat and he's sowing seed on to people who are on the ground. And the word Mark uses for on the shore, that word shore is the same word Jesus uses for soil. So Jesus is literally doing this in real time. He's like, I'm teaching about the parables, but I'm literally throwing seed out. And I wonder whose heart it's going to take root in here. But I also, I wonder whose heart is going to reject it. And I want them to reject it because they're not ready to receive my kingdom. You see, this is all very, very, very meta. In other words, the kingdom of God could have come like a bulldozer or a missile or in the Old Testament language of Jeremiah, like a fire and a hammer. Jesus could have brought his word in such a way that you couldn't miss it. It's like a, like a, like a, 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 
like a missile that always hits its target, or like a bulldozer just clearing out broken ground, or like a fire or hammer, but that's not how, that's not the nature of the kingdom. The nature of the kingdom is gentle but powerful, subtle but all-encompassing, and it requires a life that is ready, not moral. That's not what this is talking about, but ready. There's a place for morality, and we talk a lot about that here. I'm not saying don't be moral. I'm saying this seed, don't hear good life equals moral life. Here, good life equals ready life, equals receptive life, equals open life to the things of God. Just being open. Now, let's talk about the nature of the, of the soils. Let's just get into the actual parable. Jesus here is teaching about different types of soils. Now, we have to pay attention to what changes and what stays constant in this parable. The seed stays the same in the story. It's not a story about good seed and bad seed. The seed wants to take root no matter what. Given half a chance, the seed will take root. The farmer stays the same in the story. This is not a story about good farmers and bad farmers. The farmer is just throwing the seed everywhere. The only variable that changes in the story is the soil. John Orberg, in his really great book, Soul Keeping, says it's helpful to replace the word soil with the word soul if you really want to know what's going on. That's what this parable is trying to get us to pay attention to. A closed soul is death. A receptive soul is life. There's four types of soils here, four kinds of souls that Jesus tries to get the kingdom of God in to take root. He's scattering soil. He wants the kingdom of God to take root in people's hearts. And there are four kinds of soils or souls that Jesus is scattering seed in. The first is, Jesus calls it the path. Now call this, you can call this the hardened soul. Jesus says that this kind of life where the soul is used as a highway or a sidewalk, where your soul is open for people to walk in and out of, for things like transactions and travelers to move freely in and out of this kind of soul, where your life becomes dry and hardened. At this point, the seed doesn't have any chance whatsoever to take root, not even for a second. This is dangerous. Jesus would say, the moment you are there, the moment that your soul is hardened, Jesus says that, the, that when we're there, when we are in the place to let all other sorts of influence begin to take the place of the, where the kingdom of God should be, Jesus calls this the evil one. Or there's a satanic quality to it. It's vulnerable to Satan. Now, I don't want you to think uh, like satanic in the way that Satan's possessing you or Satan's influencing you, all that means is this. It means that when a, when, a, when a life and soul is hardened to the things of God for all sorts of different reasons, when the seed of God's invitation, his word, his voice, common grace shows up and the kingdom of God wants to like root in your heart, Satan just comes and goes, oh, that's easy, snatch it away, snatch it away. Satan just comes and, oh, I'll take that, thank you, just takes it away from you where you don't even know that there is a God, you don't even know that, that God is wanting you, he wants relationships, that doesn't even enter your mind. Hardened soul. The, the, saint, the, the, the seed of the kingdom doesn't stand a chance. 
The next place is the rocky places. You can call this the, the shallow soil. The idea here is that it's not that the, the soil um, is, is, um, is hardened, but, and it's not that the soil actually has a bunch of rocks in them, because sometimes rocky soil is actually really good for plants. The idea here is that there's actually just, just a thin top layer of soil and rock underneath it, where the path it was just solid rock. This is, there's a thin top layer of soil and then underneath there's solid rock. In other words, this kind of soul lacks depth, or as you might say, is a shallow soul or a, a superficial soul. Jesus says that these kind of, of people that have a shallowness to their soul receive the word with great joy. They're like, oh man, that sounds good. I want, Je- I want this thing. I want this kingdom. I want Jesus to live inside. I want all this stuff. But since they have not cultivated depth in their life at all, zero depth. When trouble or forms of persecution comes, they quickly fall away. Now, there are many, many ways that a soul becomes shallow. Living with resentment or regret or bitterness in your heart is a way that the soul becomes shallow. When you are self-centered to the point where you just nurse your pain and nurse your problems. I've met people like this in San Francisco over the years, many people where the soul becomes shallow, where they can't even receive the things of God. They can't receive the kingdom of God. They become very self-centered. Another way that our souls become shallow is we simply stop cultivating depth in our soul. We spend too much time on our devices, too much time trying to mentally escape our lives through drugs or alcohol or distractions or whatever else, work, whatever else we do, we don't cultivate depth anymore and we don't know how to show up to the pain and the beauty of our lives and we have no depth. And so the kingdom of God can't grow in a life that way. What's surprising to me and what's always been surprising to me in my studies over the years is to find how many deep thinkers, poets, artists who find their way into faith in Christ. And you might not hear about them. So every, every so often you might, they might write a book that's just kind of over everyone's head so not that many people read it on a popular level, but they're beautiful works of art where people talk about them finding God by just them thinking deeply and somehow God gets in there. Christian Wyman, a poet and more recently a a professor at Yale Divinity, wrote a book called My Bright Abyss. Beautiful book. Meditation of a Modern Believer. And in this book, he writes this. He says, quote, when I assented to the, to the faith that was latent within me, and I phrase it carefully, deliberately, for there was not a white light, no ministering or avenging angel that tore my life in two. Rather, it seemed as if the tiniest seed of belief had finally flowered in me. Or more accurately, as if I had happened upon some rare flower deep in the desert and had known, though I was just then discovering it, that it had been blooming impossibly year after parched year in me, surviving all the seasons of my unbelief. The way he talks about faith and coming to faith as someone who kind of grew up around faith but had walked away from, became a poet and whatever that is, right? 
He, but what the thing is, is he had cultivated such a depth of soul that that seed of the kingdom, because God is always scattering seed, burrowed its way into the depths of his soul and laid latent in there and then one day flowered. Or as he said, it one day somehow, year after year of unbelief, was actually growing there. And he found it. The seed of the kingdom will grow if given half a chance. The third one is among thorns, or you can call this the cluttered soul. Jesus says that this soul is not about shallowness, but about competition. In this life, the kingdom is not the main thing growing in this person's soul. There's other things choking out the seed of the kingdom. This is the soil where Jesus gets the most graphic and most detailed. He says this, Verse 18, still others like the seed sown among thorns hear the word, but listen to his language, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth. Notice he didn't say wealth. He said the deceitfulnesses of wealth, deceitfulness of wealth, meaning wealth has a way of deceiving you that you think you're more invincible, more, more secure, more powerful than you really are, and it deceives you and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, as if the seed of the kingdom gets in this person's life, but because of the worries, because of the deceitfulness of, their, of, of them trying to make wealth or whatever that is, and the desires for other things, it really takes the word and it chokes it out, it chokes out the kingdom in their lives. Jesus says there's a competition of values. The kingdom can't grow and bear fruit in a life that is cluttered by worries and deceitfulnesses of wealth and desire for things that are just things. The kingdom of God is the kind of thing that only grows in a life that is willing to receive it, to make room for it, to to cultivate its latent power within. See, Jesus could have made his word of the kingdom the kind of thing that breaks up rocks, burns away thorns and thistles, and shoots birds out of the sky. He imagines just like the kingdom of God is like a seed that once you plant it, if you plant it and it falls on rocks, it has a way of burrowing in rocks and exploding rocks and then making a life. And you'd be like, that's awesome. Or if you put it in thorns, it has a way of catching itself on fire and burning the thorns and then the fire actually makes it fall to the ground and die and then it grows. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Or it's the kind of th- seed that when birds eat it, it explodes the birds <laughs> and then uses carcass for fertilizer and grows out of it like a phoenix. You'd be like, the kingdom of God is, that is awesome. What do I have to do? Nothing. It just does all the work for you. But Jesus says the kingdom of God isn't like that. The kingdom of God isn't like that. It actually needs the kind of life that is not rocky or hard or thorny. It needs a kind of life that is receptive. Why? Because of God wants cooperation. God wants our willing cooperation. Jesus wants his kingdom to be received in lives that are ready and willing to cooperate with his kingdom. People who cultivate a kingdom readiness. He's looking for good soil. Not good as in moral. This is not a moral tale. This is about listening and receiving. Good as in ready. He's looking for a ready soul. Lastly, what do we learn about the nature of God in this parable? Let's look at the farmer. This farmer, who's a picture of God, is scattering seed everywhere. He's literally throwing seed everywhere. 
If you were looking at him, you're like, you're not that good of a farmer. <laughs> seed, you're throwing seed in the street. That's just going to be eaten by birds. What are you doing? You're throwing on the sidewalk and in cracks and in that bush over there. That's not going to grow in that bush. Like, you would be looking at this farmer like, no, 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 just like make a row, throw seeds in there and cover it up and water it. And you won't waste. He is throwing seeds everywhere almost wastefully everywhere, on the road, among the rocks, among the thorns, on bad soil, on rich soil. No farmer would ever do this. Who would waste seed on soil that can never produce a harvest? God, it seems, doesn't even ask that question, but simply keeps scattering his seed everywhere over generously without calculating whether it's a good investment or not. What we see in this picture of God is that God is over generous over-lavish, over-extravagant, over-rich, and over-patient. In other words, God is prodigal. That word prodigal means wastefully, extravagant, and lavishly abundant. Meaning he continues to scatter seeds of his kingdom every minute of every day. Jesus, God is always scattering seeds of the kingdom, hoping that it will take root. He's doing it right now. Yesterday, he was doing it. Last night, he was doing it. In your apartment or at your dinner, and you might have missed it. You might have ignored it. You might have not opened your life to it. But God is prodigal, and guess what? He's doing it again right now. Right now. But for, for some of you, it's not your time. You're hearing it and just bouncing off of you. It's falling on. So Satan's already kind of gone and grabbed it. You're like, I don't even know. What, what, are, what, are, what are you doing here? What's, what's going on here? And just not now. It's been said that the most important part of spirituality is the preparation of the student for the learning. And that might be happening right now. Right now, what is going on is the preparation for tonight's invitation by God or tomorrow's seed sown or maybe even next Sunday's. God continues to scatter his seed everywhere, hoping his kingdom would grow in hearts ready to receive him. He's doing it all the time, everywhere. This morning during pre-service prayer, Sophie, who's on our worship team, was, was praying, and she said, I had this, like, she just mentioned the thief on the cross. And the redemption of the thief on the cross and his last of breath, he just turns to Jesus and says, will you remember me in your kingdom? And Jesus turns to him and says, truly, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is sowing seeds, scattering seeds on the cross. He's still waiting for the seeds of the kingdom to take root in a soul. And this man's last breath, it finally takes root. It finally takes root. How does it take root after this man's life? We don't even know how he's lived. He's a thief. He's dying on a cross. And Jesus says, yeah, it's taken root right then. During pre-gathering, pre-service prayer, also there was, um, there was a young man at pre-service prayer. And he just starts praying in the middle of the pre-service prayer. He said, this is my first time at this church. And God I've been far from you for some time, but I felt drawn to, come, drawn to come today. If you would please show me your grace. It was kind of beautiful and amazing. Like, how did you show up at a prayer meeting? 
Like, you know, nine o'clock is typically for, for you, but you're at a prayer. And, I'm, and I, the first thought I had was, Jesus is literally scattering seed everywhere. He is always scattering his seed so that it would find a heart that's ready to receive him. And I don't, I don't know why this is, but sometimes our hearts get ready at weird times. After regret, after pain, after failure, after hitting rock bottom, something happens to where the seed of grace, the seed of the kingdom, is finally ready to take root in that heart, and it receives them. Would you stand with me as, as we make ourselves open and ready to receive? If you're able, would you stand with me? Would you open your hands? We deeply believe at our church that we have responsibility and agency to cooperate with God in cultivating a life that is ready to receive the kingdom of God, to cultivate a life that becomes like Christ. So would you open your hands? Part of this cultivation is prayer, singing, silence. So I'm going to be silent for just a a moment. I'm going to ask the Spirit to cooperate with us in cultivating our own hearts to receive. Lord, if we're here this morning and our heart feels hardened, stony, thorny, I pray right now there would be something where we can cooperate with you and say, break up the fallow ground, God. I want to receive. I see you, Father, throwing seed everywhere. Seeds of promise and seeds of kingdom and seeds of grace. Seeds of restoration and forgiveness. Seeds of hope. Seeds of renewal. Your kingdom. Scattering it everywhere, God. But it take root in our lives and birth something of the life of God in us. In Jesus' name.